Welcome to a new episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Today's guest is Ian Trickett of British brand Trickett. Hello, Ian. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, yeah. My, my name's Ian Trickett. I run the uh, sportswear brand Trickett from uh, Accrington. Uh, I tend to be inspired by all things uh, retro to do with sport and just have an infatuation with the way that things were made. 40, 50, 60 years ago in some cases. Um, sportswear has always been one of those things that's interested me since being tiny and having um, interesting interests as that more peculiar is probably the best way of describing it. Uh, I decided that maybe there was other people that were like me. So I founded Trickett in 2012, um, put some socks online and hope for the best. And I'm still here, which I suppose is down to making good selections and having great customers, I guess. It's interesting you used the word peculiar and had just before that said that you were a sportswear brand, because my impression would be that you weren't actually a sportswear brand, you were kind of an everything brand. Is that hold at all? Um, yeah, to be fair, I, I would never necessarily pigeonhole myself into anything I think it's mainly because I have a keen interest in sport that and the the garments that I produce and design for the most part are comfortably fit within the sportswear I hate the word genre or paradigm or whatever (laughs) Um, but um, yeah I think it's 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 clothing that's easy to wear and that tends to get put under the streetwear or sportswear stuff but like I said I mean I'm more I'm in, influenced by sportswear mainly and, and the garments that the athletes have worn throughout time and it's more of a classic thing I'm not talking about lycra and things I'm talking about heavy cottons and absorbent sweatshirts and uh, you know the, the things that make me tick. Now apart from your I, I, I use the word eclectic selection of goods. I mean, covering sportswear to coffee to oven mitts yeah. and pie dishes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you are very much a um, staunch supporter of your hometown. Yeah, this is this is very true. Accrington, born and raised. Luckily for me, um, it's it's a gift and a curse in a lot of ways because I think. Growing up in Accrington, you you get an accent like what I've currently got. You get given the history of this um, powerful industrial town that created the machinery that uh, launched the industrial revolution and all that sort of carry on. And you have no sort of tangible way of... Uh, well, you have no tangible way of understanding it. You know, there's nowhere to go and see a cotton factory still working and there's you know, very limited garment manufacturing um if if any in Accrington to be fair it's mainly accessories like bags and things um but I am fiercely proud of what we have achieved and potentially what we could achieve but it just seems that we're lying dormant for a bit so one of the key things that I wanted to do with Trickett was um push forward this notion of identity and doing what you can with what you have right now and when I started Trickett, I didn't know anything about clothing, particularly how to make things. Um, but I just thought, what do I know? I, I know that one of my best friends, Louise, her dad ran a, a 
place that made bags and aprons. So I thought, well, let's give them a go. So I spoke to John and I was like, can you make me the impressive order of 10 aprons and one oven mitt? And he sort of rolled his eyes and you know, <laughs> off, off we went really. And I thought, well, that'll get Accrington back, back, back on its feet, those, that 11 piece order. But um, it was done with the most sincere of ambitions. And I do make a, a lot of stuff in Accrington still. And I do think it's really important to champion the stuff that you're good at. Like I've, I've, I make things in different places now and because of more out of necessity than the desire to be this huge brand or anything, this global spider or anything. But there are people and places that make things that the UK simply can't anymore. But making things in Accrington and making things well in Accrington is 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 a passionate part of what I do. Like the postcards with every order, they're printed in Accrington. All the bags are um, manufactured in Accrington. The cotton that's um, made into that is used for the bags that's woven in Accrington as well, and the webbing um, for the all the bags that's made in Accrington too. So. I know that seems a bit almost probably the right word is probably pedantic to be like, well, actually the webbing's made in Accrington or something, but whatever I can do to manufacture something here gets me closer to my ambition of making as much or, you know, the, the, the goal is to make everything in Accrington. Um, maybe that'll happen one day because um, I've got a project in the back burner, but we'll maybe talk about that later. But yeah, it's... Um, I do very much live my, my life by the rules of do what you can with what you have and do it right now. Um, then you can't have that sort of uh, inward dialogue like, well, there'll always be next year. We can do this next year. We can do this. Oh, maybe, maybe now's not the right time. I'm very much like kick the door down and see what you can see. Indeed, indeed. I think um, if it hadn't been for you, I'd probably never have heard of Accrington. And I realise I'm running the risk of... Uh, the wrath of the entire population of Accrington right now, but um, it, it, it well, is a fairly yeah. small place in Lancashire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a small place, but uh, had um, obviously I'm exceptionally biased towards Accrington, but with it creating the uh, machinery that created cotton, uh, well, that wove cotton into fabric and whatever else. Uh, Howard and Bullies in Accrington. Without without Accrington, there is no industrial revolution. So it, especially in this part of the world, um, it um, it's a strange little place. It's famous for making bricks that are in the foundations of uh, um, the Empire State Building. You know, making some of the greatest bricks that have ever existed. Um, a, a, a strange football team that people either know because of a, <laughs> a milk advert or know it because quite rightfully they're they're running a football club in in the correct way or you just know it because it's in between Blackburn and Burnley which again are important footnotes in the industrial uh revolution history but yeah it's a strange little place but um I live here I uh engage with here and I love it here so yeah I won't be I won't be leaving but I will do everything I can until everybody in Norway knows who who, sorry, what Accrington is. <laughs> well, we'll try. Well, I think even I know what the football team is called now, so you're, you are managing to sort of reach out. Good, good. Yeah. Um, do you feel that your efforts are are actually creating a difference in the community? Um, I used to be quite proud in a perverse way 
that for the first five years, yeah, maybe a bit, maybe a bit shorter than that, but certainly for the first five years, I didn't, I had not sold a single item of Tricket to anybody in a BB5 postcode, uh, which is the postcode that covers Accrington. I was proud of that fact. Like, not one person in Accrington engaged with the brand, even though like wow. I had certain things like the Don't Worry Be Aki campaign, which is about um, encouraging mental health and discussing how we feel about things. Um, I've done pretty much every garment made some reference to either the postcode or the coordinates or Accrington Brick or, or something. You know, there was, there were, you didn't have to look too deep towards the fact that um, I was promoting Accrington and championing it, if you wish to use that word. But um, yeah, not, not <laughs> I didn't sell a bean to anybody in Accrington. And that, and that included my actual friends that lived here as well. God, um, that is yeah, cold. Yeah, no, it's amazing in a way, isn't it? And um but after the Don't Worry Biaki campaign and after I made a couple of t-shirts for the Accrington Stanley um, Football Club and a few other bits and pieces, um, I gathered a bit of momentum. I did a really nice book uh, called uh, This Is Accrington, which was shot by an amazing photographer called Alex De Palma. Um, and that sort of illustrated why I quite like the place and how, yeah, Accrington's no different to whether any other town, village, hamlet, city, whatever you want to call it across the world, but it has a unique history, it has a unique landscape, it has a unique set of people. And I just wanted to talk about that. Whether it's made a difference, I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily walk through the centre of Accrington and people are going, hey, and they're like, you know, and, and to be fair, definitely wouldn't want that. But um, I do hope that it's encouraged a few people just to be like, ah, you know what, yeah, I'm from X place and no one ever talks about it. Maybe I should be proud of where I'm from. I think it's not necessarily in Accrington that it's made a difference. I think it's sort of further out because I do think, I mean this in the, the nicest way, Accrington, but it does take a bit of a while for the, the people of this town to necessarily catch up to where you want them to be. But um, the pace is a bit slower around here and I don't mind that. I get the impression you're keeping your local post office pretty busy. Uh, yeah, I think um, a post office is such an important part of a community. And when I was a kid, um, and this is when things started, I suppose, going downhill. But when I was a kid, I can think of in Accrington, literally within a two mile radius of my mum and dad's house. Um, I can think of five or six post offices. And now there's one near where mum and dad live and then the the main post office in the center and for all kinds of different reasons post office is really important and whether that's you know somebody drawing their pension or you know some income support or however they they would use the post office right through to posting letters and and other stuff um so it was really important for me to to still use these places because i think we can all get disconnected from what it means to actually post something out and ebay is i suppose the perfect example whereby you can sell something you print off a letter uh, uh, sorry a piece of paper it has a barcode on it you shove it in a letterbox and it arrives there but the actual queuing up at the post office or seeing the look of disdain which doesn't happen very often to be fair at my post office when you're bringing in like 
20 bags of stuff for them to sort out and, and post. But I'm very lucky that uh, Shafiq and Abdul, who, who run the post office, are they're two very enthusiastic guys and they're two guys that really enjoy doing what they're doing and, and helping people. And um, if I can help in some small part to keep a, a post office open or help people to um, think, oh, you know what, I won't spend it with eBay or PayPal or whatever, I'll literally put money in the pockets of the guys that are staying in Accrington and, and doing something positive, then that can only be a good thing. And I, and I know for a fact, like there's a few people that I know in Accrington that were like, oh, I've just seen Shafiq and uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's sorted this out for me. I think more people know Shafiq than know me. And certainly when I put pictures of him on Instagram, everybody like likes those images. Whereas like I put a picture of my face on there and I'd probably get like eight <laughs> likes. So that probably tells you all you need to know about my face, doesn't it, to be fair. But yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's a nice story. I, I think it's uh, do what you can. Uh, to support your your locality, this is probably going to be a recurring theme <laughs> throughout this chat. But yeah, it's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, because you are a real enthusiast for having things made locally, mm. but as much as you can. And do you, do you find that most things can be made locally, or has so much been closed down these days? I really wish that I could sort of say to you that oh well, it's on the rise and all this stuff's changing and all that. But the the reality is. You can make really sturdy, beautiful garments um, in the UK still. We're brilliant at making jackets because obviously it rains. Um, we're brilliant at making trousers. We're brilliant at making shirts. Um, we're brilliant at, at lots of things, like especially cobblers. We have some of the best shoe manufacturers in, in the world, in this country, and we're very lucky that way. But your sort of simple entry-level stuff that um, most brands would probably want to start with if they could do like t-shirts or hoodies or even jeans to a degree um, I just I just they make them better and they make them for cheaper in in Europe like I'm not I'm sure I don't I have no experience of making things in China or you know in the Far East or anything I, I don't know how to do that but um, I'm lucky that I have people that have pushed me in the right direction to work with some excellent factories in in um, garment making areas like Portugal and, and Italy. And I have created relationships with those factories to make stuff that, if I'm being hand on heart, brutally honest, you just cannot make to the same specification in this country as you can abroad. And that, I, I wouldn't say it keeps me awake at night or it, you know, it breaks my heart or anything, but um, running any business at some point, you have to sort of realize the limitations of what's more important, your uh, values is the wrong word, but your sort of like direction or your ability to create a really good gun for a good price that people will want to wear, buy, uh, and be enthusiastic about. And you can seldom do that in the UK. Like if if I use like the sort of, without being too crass about it, if I was to make, um, I did a, recently I did a Stripes t-shirt inspired by Napoli. And if I was to do, produce that same t-shirt that cost 25 pounds retailed in this, um, sorry, made that 25 pounds and it retailed here for 25 pounds that I made, the actual shirt itself in Portugal. If I was to make the same shirt here, it would retail for close to 80 probably. And that's because of the cost of the machinery, the makeup, the yarn, the person who made the t-shirt. And these are all completely different 
a factory is usually there's never one integrated thing like there is in Portugal. So somebody will make the fabric, somebody will dye the fabric, dye the yarn, somebody will then look after the fabric and make it make sure that it's not stretchy, not shrinking when you wash it and then it comes back to the finishing that's the word i promise that's the word and then, uh, there's somebody who actually cuts the garment out and in some cases there's somebody who stitches it and then sometimes there's even a, a different department a different factory or a different outsourcing thing in this country that will then pack it whereas in portugal that is literally all under one roof and one person is taking care of that entire process so um, it's just that we haven't necessarily had the investment in our garment industry in this country that we should have done. In Portugal, it's been protected. In Italy, it's been protected. And there's sort of factories and brands and people from all over the world that, that do things to, to make sure that it keeps on its, on its feet. Like in Portugal, I think, not exact on dates, but um, the government actually props up and subsidises part of the garment industry, whereas obviously in this country, not that I know of, we, we do that. Sometimes we have like, oh, you should start sewing for a living. That would be good. But there's never really any sort of like, this is the career path and this is what you can do with it. Um, so that's, that's, yeah, it is, sometimes it's uh, a bit frustrating. I can't necessarily achieve absolutely everything that I want to achieve in this country but um you know them's the break sometimes i make a lot of things in this country you know i make socks bags lots of things but um the actual hardcore sort of loop back fabrics and nearly nice jerseys and things like that they can be made here but they're just not as well made here as they are abroad sadly and that's uh, that's a good point because um i mean well made or not well made they could probably be made better in the UK with some effort. But the, the point of price, price though, is uh, is a tricky one because while people may well say, oh, yeah, I like to buy British, British made is best and so forth, it, I think it's going to be a problem to get them to pay three times as much for a T-shirt. Yeah, ultimately, um, I'm from Accrington, so I understand what the the price and value conundrum that, that we all face. And, you know, I'm not quoting Oscar Wilde here and you know about the people know the price of everything the value of nothing like that that isn't yeah. necessarily what I'm saying <laughs> but what I I, I I could not in all consciousness uh, charge somebody £65 for a product that was made in this country but it was made to an inferior quality or standard than it would be if I made it in Portugal and charged you 25 I, I couldn't that's the type of thing that would keep me awake at night. <laughs> you know, like I'm I'm not that person. I think creating something, creating the best possible product for the best possible price is what I'm about. I'm, I'm never going to be one of these people that's making it in China and then, you know, I manufacture it and it's, it's you know, I can retail it for £10, but it's beautifully made. There has to be some form of story. Like one of the, the factory managers that I work with, Annabella, I know her, I know her family, we've, we've been working together for a long time now. And that's important to me, rather than just sending off an anonymous sort of purchase order to somewhere, some factory where I can't go and see, you know, things are a bit strange at the minute, but if I really wanted to, I could get on a plane and go and see Annabelle and see how things are being made and meet with the people that manufacture the garments and such. Whereas, you know, it's a bit more strenuous perhaps to go to, China, wherever, you know, I'm using China, there's, there's excellent factories in Bangladesh and uh, 
Thailand, all kinds of places. So yeah, but it doesn't, I need to be able to touch it and it needs to be tangible. It needs to have a story. So yeah, it's more, it is for me, it's about value and my values and keeping, making a, a good product for a good price is something that is sort of in me because, you know, the place where I've grown up and the place where I am from, um, there isn't as much money as there is in other places in the country. So you know, maybe I should, or I could have, if I was a London brand, or I won't get into the politics of that, but if I was making in Portugal and I charge £25, I know that there's places in similar size brands, maybe bigger, maybe a bit smaller than me, that making similar factories that charge £60 for the same quality of T-shirt. But it's about, that isn't a reflection of what I am as a brand. I want to give you the best possible product for the best possible price and that's that's a sort of core belief of mine rather than ripping people off because that's not fair having followed you for quite a while now i can attest to your obvious and clear enthusiasm for what you're doing um there's one thing that struck me a bit earlier uh, you're talking about the uk manufacturing industry and um the sort of staffing they have uh, having visited a couple of garment factories, well, near you, in fact, hmm. I was struck by the fact that they weren't really full to the brim of keen British teenagers wanting to make a career in the garment industry. No, the the reality is, um, and I don't, I don't blame anybody, but like um, a skill that I would value, like sewing, isn't valued by society. It's the reality is you if you're 18 or you're 16 when you just left school, you should necessarily you, you could go down the garment path and you could there are opportunities. Even at my local colleges, there are places where you can learn to sew garments and put things together. However, the reality is in do you work and try really hard to work at uh, a job where you have to sew and it has to be accurate in sewing. There's no gray area. It's either put together well or it's not put together well. It's 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 right or wrong. Whereas, and you have to learn that skill and you have to hone it and you have to, you know, master it. And I, I do mean master it. You have to put the time in. Or you could go and work in a call centre, which there are, are lots and lots in this area, and be paid infinitely more for doing less work uh, I admire the people that in this life that want to make the decision to do to take the the, the tough road, but for most people, what's the point? <laughs> you know, like the, there is a perfect example of a, of a factory that, that I have worked with and still still do, but the the person that was um, working in the factory was a, a very skilled manufacturer. Well, sorry, a very skilled machinist in a certain area, and it's a very particular area. And that person could get paid more being a cleaner at a local uh, factory like that made nothing to do with clothing um, than he could do in this very specific machining um, on, a, on a sewing machine. So uh, can I blame that person? No, if you'd make the same decision for your family. But, um, you know, it's, it's a tough one to get people into, into sewing and into garment manufacturing when there isn't necessarily the financial or social um, praise that you would deserve. That does make it sound a little 
odd when people talk about made in Britain. Yeah. Um, when it's really a case of, well, the, the, technically the factory is in Britain, uh, the machines are British, the company's British, but they have to seek uh, employees from Eastern Europe, typically, yeah. I guess. Yeah, um, but they, these are the people that get that have the skills to do it because they are encouraged to do it and it has a, a societal um, belief that what they're doing is a, is a good thing, it's a good job. Um, and these people make garments for big brands who expect to say, well, a very high level of accuracy. So they make these amazing garments and they're taught how to use these amazing machines. Um, and there's just a shortage of those people in this country. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't any, but these people are, are, are winding down. They're not winding up. These are people that are in the 60s, 70s, and genuinely some of the factories I've, I've been lucky enough to work with. They've been in the very early 80s, which you know is astounding really isn't it but that um, speaks of dedication yeah yeah no, no, that's that's a beautiful thing and i think it sort of shows the life that you can have if you dedicate yourself to your craft and you and you want to do it that you're still interested in something like one of the people that i'm speaking about this in their early 80s that's still working um he started working um in naples in when he was 15 and he still found enough in garment manufacture that he's still doing that, you know, 66, yeah, 66 years later um, and he still loves it. Um, so there is the, they're either, they're either enjoying this. You can still get a lot of enjoyment out of garment manufacture, but just um, in a, it just needs to be encouraged from a very young age. Like I was fortunate, fortunate enough to have, that does sort of lead on to the question of, do you think more stuff is being made in the UK now? Or is it kind of a scam when more and more companies are saying that they're doing more in the UK? Is it a case of being a bit tricky with the labels or are, are the manufacturing places increasing in number? I think there is a genuine passion and intrigue for how we consume products, whether that's where we buy our eggs from or whether that's where we buy our milk from or you know where we buy our shoes from or whatever there is a genuine interest in it i think if people are uh, financially um secure enough to buy products that are made in the uk and can afford to make the decision well i'm quite happy to spend 20 30 40 sometimes hundreds of pounds more for a british made product then then yeah great um, good for you but I do think if we are to make a real go of things things need to be much more accessible if we want to sort of champion this whole thing I do think um, you can be fruity I think that's the best way of describing it with how labeling to use like I drive a I drive a mini like a new mini and I know that's made in Oxfordshire but I know it's made of entirely um, German well not entirely German but parts from all over the world does that make it a British car it's a British brand and it's made in the UK, but it's made of lots of other parts. So, yeah, I suppose that brings into question, is it British? I would say, yeah, you know, there's a lot of the bulk of the manufacturer, sorry, the bulk of the manufacturer of that car is in the UK. But there's this train is made by um, New Balance, that they're, they're amazing trainers were made here but the sole units are made um i think they were made in various different places but the materials aren't necessarily from the uk 
they're amazing trainers, but I've had lots of people when I say, oh, I'm wearing a pair of Made in England trainers privately wearing either Walsh or New Balance. And then people are like, well, the sole unit's from China and uh, the leather's from Italy or whatever. Is that actually a British, is that a British product? And I would say yes, but I can understand the technicalities of something. I don't know what the exact wording is, but somebody once told me that it's the if the bulk of the value of the product is manufactured in this U- in the UK, then it can be called made in the UK, which is slightly tenuous, isn't it? Because if anything, the marketing is the thing that makes people want to buy something a lot of the time, not all the time. But so the marketing might be an entirely British manufacturer, but the product itself might be made wherever. So is that made in the UK? I don't know. So. I do think there's more of an interest and I think it's great, but I certainly don't hear of like 10 factories a year that are springing up making garments. Um, there might be one and sometimes some years there might be like two or three, but will they survive long term? I hope so, but um, I think it's a, it's a very competitive, strange world out there where we all want the best ethical products that we can get, but we want them for as cheap as we can, which... <laughs> Which is a, almost a dichotomy in a way, isn't it? Well, you know, that's for that's for you to make your own mind up about. Well, you only need to walk through a place like Primark to see uh, how happy people are to buy stuff that is mainly cheap, yeah. not at all good. Uh, that's quite and, shocking, and, really. And some of that is made in this country, isn't it? Like the the ethics of that are a completely different thing, a completely different topic, and well above my my level of expertise. But I know that there are factories littered across the UK that are making garments for Primark and not necessarily using the most ethical of standards. So again, that product's being made in the UK and it's being made being made by somebody here in the UK. But, and it's being British, it's, sorry, it's, it's being marketed and rightfully sold, excuse me, as a, as a made in Britain product. But is it? Is it something that you want, knowing that that person probably isn't being paid correctly or the factory's ethics aren't necessarily where they could be? Are you proud to wear that because it's, it's made in the UK? Are you not bothered? You're just bothered about how much it costs and the union flag that's in your side seam is just like a added bonus it's it's yeah. something to think about isn't it really i think the whole definition of made in britain is kind of a little bit uh, flexible yeah um i recall hearing about uh, the rolls royce factory in i think it's in sussex just by the goodwood uh, estate mm-hmm. where they assemble the rolls royce in britain to make it a british car but all the parts come by lorries from germany and 75% of the staff are germans yeah but by making the last major operation of the project in the uk it's british made yeah it's so it's, where does it end <laughs> do we, but do you do especially in the case of a car does every nut and every bolt and does every piece of metal have to be like sheffield steel does the 
the lining for the armrest? Does that have to be Lancastrian cotton? You know, like where does, where does it end? You know, what I mean, there, there has to be some flexibility. But I'm with you. It's it's it's. At what point do you think? Yeah, this is fine. You know, we've made some we've made some shoes in the UK from Italian leather and the first sole units there from Portugal and the footbed itself and the sock liner. Well, we got those made in Turkey and the laces they had come from China and the thread itself was manufactured in Germany. But it's put together here. Well, it's not actually. The uppers are actually cut in wherever and then they're just sent over and yeah. we glue them together, which I'm, I'm sort of maybe alluding to a couple of factories that I know of that manufacture um, stuff that, that do stuff like that and that can be classed as made in the UK which is again is absolutely fine I'm not here to discuss anyone's ethics to say what you're doing is bad or what you're doing is good but I, I like to think that it's much easier for a garment because I know that I can get the fabric manufactured somewhere I can get the lining manufactured somewhere in this country. I can get the buttons manufactured in this country. And I can get the labels manufactured in this country, slap it all together in this country. And I know that that's made in the UK. But say if like one of the people, one of the machinists that I use for various different things, he is from Naples. And he's an Italian guy that's lived here for, well, he wouldn't let me say that. It's a Neapolitan chap that lives here and has lived here for 20 years. And he's made it in this country, but it's made by a classically trained Neapolitan tailor. So is that made in England or is it geographically in the UK made by a Neapolitan? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know it's whichever way you want to spin the marketing, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, definitely. I get the impression that um, people are either very concerned about the price, in which case they don't really care where it's made, or they are concerned about where it's made and the history and so forth, and they can get a bit tangled up in the whole, is it really made there? Is it legit? Uh, what often makes me a bit sad then is when they are not very well informed. Yeah. So there'll be there'll be rumours about a brand doing so-and-so, and it will sort of spread through, through the forums and become a, a truth. Uh, and, of course, brands might not actually be very open about it if they are sort of not really sticking to the true spirit of it yeah so i suppose it's going back to what i was saying before it's it's, it's whether it's the marketing isn't it the bulk of whatever you do nowadays whether that's cheap marketing like through social media and having that all managed in-house or whether you go for big campaigns or whatever it's making in this country authenticity can almost be bought nowadays can it brands that maybe like 18 months old can you know create outstanding graphics and make things look really old and oh well i'm just pres you, you take a picture of some guy stood outside a pub with a nice barber on and like wearing whatever it is whether it's trousers share whatever and you think oh well they must be making in this country and then like you said there's these sort of it's, it's almost like an assumed level of authenticity cracks on and people sort of think well it must be made in this country but no one ever sort of says yes or no it's like all those brands and there's too many to mention but all those brands that whack union flags in their labels in the back of their jackets and also like designed in london and then tiny it's made in china and 
I, I, I find I find that I, I just find that peculiar more than anything else because somebody's consciously going, well, people like seeing union flags and stuff because they like seeing stuff that's made in the UK. But what we can do is say it was designed here, but it was made in China. Like it's it's just veiled, isn't it? And that's not it's not cool, is it? Like it's it's like it's the equivalent of like twenty years ago, isn't it? When people were putting mobile phone pockets in like everything. It's like, oh, well, we've got a hoodie now. Let's put a mobile phone pocket in. Oh, I've got a bag. Let's put a mobile phone pocket in. Like, stuff changes all the time. But, you know, these these marketing departments of big companies, they're hip to game. They know what people want. And they think by putting design in the UK, design in London, or design in Accrington or whatever, you, that people are going to be like, oh, well, it's, it's designed here. So that's fine. It's probably not. Somebody probably drew a sketch on like illustrator or something something to like a, a, a really talented person in, in china that's then translated that into a garment so yeah it's um it's, uh, i'm not saying it's, it's easy <laughs> to, to find out what is and what isn't made in the uk but it tends to be the people that can show you around the factory uh, sort of say this person made this for you look at them look at them talking about stuff like um you know there's some really great brands out there that, that do stuff like that. So yeah. just follow those guys. That's what I say. <laughs> I'm, I'm a sucker for that, I have to admit. Yeah. Um, I can say that the, there is an entire Norwegian fashion industry being built up around the label's design in Norway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, basically, there's nothing made in Norway, very, very little. Mm. But, but all these fashion companies are sort of trying to build up the national fashion identity through designing stuff here. I do often wonder though, I mean, there's so much stuff being designed that doesn't actually look to be very designed at all. I mean, it's all pretty much been done a million times before. Yeah. So is it such a big deal? I think the word design is, um, it's a strange one, isn't it? Like um, Brand, who we both know from Hebtroco, like he had a, had a career designing bikes and like that that to me is like actual proper design and then I look at um, because you know there's so many permutations and stuff and then um, one of my favorite British designers um, is I toy through and I think how he designs clothes and interprets things is, is absolutely amazing you know obviously I look at garment designers like Massimo Osti um, famously a CP company and, and Stone Island these, these people that that were pushing the envelope, as it were. Um, they really sort of know what they want to do and, and design things in amazing ways. I would never necessarily describe myself as a designer. I'm, I'm just a guy that finds stuff and goes to factories that luckily don't roll their eyes at me and say, I like this, <laughs> I like this bit off this, and I like this bit off this, and I like this bit off this, and I like this bit off this. And they can interpret that. So I'm not a designer. I'm just a, a finder of stuff. But... Um, this this idea of designed or whatever like the the idea the initial idea is is, is is vitally important but the the actual bulk of what's done coming up with the idea is great but then it's the person that translates that idea into right this is how it should look in flat pieces of paper and then you've got a, a machinist that then 
takes those pieces of paper or fabric and then sews them together and then you've got somebody who finishes it and then you've got someone who presents it to the person that had the original idea and they go, well, that's nothing like my original idea. So change this, change this, change this. And then it, that sort of small chain starts again and then that gets approved and then that goes to production and then production are the people that translate it again um, into a, a finished article. And, you know, the I can think on sort of, maybe five or six occasions and I've, I've, I've manufactured I've been very lucky to manufacture quite a lot of stuff and I can think of five occasions maybe six where I've come up with the idea it's been interpreted it's been sampled it's been manufactured and it's been sold and it's been bought and accepted by customers and it's all been exactly how I would have envisaged it because ultimately along the way I'm, I'm no expert when it comes to manufacturing garments like I might say I want X, Y, Z, and the factory manager, the developer, the pattern maker might go, you can have X and you can have Z, but if you want Y, you can't have X or you can't have Z. <laughs> so, you know, the the idea that you have is very, the original idea is very seldom the same thing at the end of the, end of the chain. So the design and thought is really important, but ultimately you've got a whole chain of people and, and thoughts and revisions before your product actually gets to the gets to the end. So when you say designed in the UK, yeah, that's great, but there's a whole host of things that will have had to have happened <laughs> elsewhere, potentially, mm -hmm. before that garment can really even be described as designed in the UK. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tenuous word, isn't it, at best? It was interesting that you should mention Ator Throop. Um, I can never get his pronunciation right, but <laughs> his um, goggle jacket uh, artwork. Yeah. Immensely cool. I tried to get hold of high resolution images so I could have some posters printed of it, but they wouldn't let me have it. <laughs> yeah, he's. he's um, I've been lucky enough to meet him once or twice, and he, well, randomly, once in a professional format, and once when he was working at um, a, a local clothes shop in Burnley. Actually, he worked at a, wow. an amazing shop called uh, Originals, which was um, light years ahead of its time. To be fair, as regards like the type of brands that they got in and. Uh, and the stores that they had and the, the quality of stock that they had. Like they were one of the first accounts to have CP and um, certainly in my local area to have CP company and um, Stone Island. And I think um, Mr. Throop worked in there because he was like, I've just got to see these jackets. And I think he was obsessed. Like many people <laughs> like that go to football and things in this particular pocket of the country um, with the jackets and the, the, the culture and everything that surrounds it. It was, you know, these are, these are jackets designed by Massimo Osti that were, um, you know, they're again, light years ahead of the time doing things with buttons and, fabrics and stuff that even now I sort of look at and I'm lucky that I have a few bits uh, that my friend Joe manages to source me from from uh, Italy and I like look at jackets that he sourced me from 1993 and 1992 and there's a couple of pieces from 1995 and I look at this stuff and I think yeah the sizing is massive you know like cause that's how people wore things in the early 90s but the the attention to detail and button placement and stuff like that it's just that's a completely different topic, but you know the why why certain people like jackets in the northwest of England. But it's um, 
yeah, it's uh, he's a great guy, and I'm I'm very very lucky to even be in the sharing the same air as that man. To be fair, that's just how much I I enjoy his work. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> that speaks of adoration. Definitely. There's a couple of things I want to ask you in closing, Ian. Um, one thing is I want to check what you think of when you hear the word sustainability. Uh, marketing. Bit of a curveball, I know. No, no, I, I, I've quite happily answered that. I, I often, I just think that's marketing guff, personally. Um, I, I manufacture clothing from recycled uh, yarns. I manufacture new yarns from uh, plastic bottles. Um, I, I do a bit, but in comparison to amazing toiletry brands uh, and cosmetic brands like Haeckel's from Mygate um, and what Don Bridges does there, who sort of makes the circle sort of connect in a way. Like I, when I make yarn out of plastic balls, yeah, it's great that it's not going into landfill and it's not going to the digestive systems of, of marine wildlife and stuff. But ultimately that, that, that yarn or that product is still being made. Like I can't prevent that happening. Whereas what Dom does at Haeckel's is he sort of makes that all reconnect that it's entirely recyclable. It's stuff that can be thrown in the ground and it'll grow in certain cases. The packaging that he puts on his, on his candles, literally you can plant it and it'll start growing flowers. But sustainability within the garment industry is it's a, it's a near impossibility because there is the constant sort of we need to make more we need to push more out and we need to chase fashion and we need to do this and i don't think um vintage and the sort of search for exclusive old pieces has really been it's never been this great to be quite honest and there's so many amazing shops that sell quality secondhand um, designer or not designer or just you know well thought through garments and that's absolutely amazing that's that's sustainability in the regard that you're just going to keep using it but the charity shop model as I like to call it isn't a new one is it you know it's 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 something that has existed for, for decades so sustainability for me it's in the garment industry it's just really doing your best but don't pretend that you know you're saving the planet or anything like that because you just have to look at the amount of water that cotton needs to grow. You have to look at the how much stuff goes into and effort and time goes into shipping and air travel and all that sort of stuff. I would I would love to think that I could just sit in my house knitting jackets knitting jackets knitting uh, knitting knitting see that's just a natural <laughs> knickers <laughs> uh, making things in my front room that i could then sell to people from you know the the leaves in my back garden and stuff but the, the truth is we are all accustomed now to a certain standard and like as much as i would love to think that oh we should all go back to wearing harris tweed stuff constantly um, the reality is you just can't really do that and climate's changing you want to go abroad and you want to see interesting things and you want to go and see interesting people and, and tour the world and see stuff and 
I don't really know how my grandparents and my great grandparents got on sitting in the houses wearing a suit and tie, like in weather that we're currently having, which is like 22, 23 degrees outside for, for Accrington. Like, I'd love to know how they did it, but um, <sighs> we live very different lives now. So, um, the idea that you can be sustainable, it's a nice thought, and I think everybody should do everything they can. Like, I make you know the packaging that I send is entirely recyclable it's it, it's great it is and I, I do my bit but I'm never going to hold my hand up and say that I should be winning um green awards or sustainability awards like I'm doing my bit I'm doing my best but until technology catches up and we can actually do stuff with the stuff that we're making when we don't need it anymore um <laughs> I don't really see how we can be sustainable personally no, I think that's very, uh, very honest and true. Um, I wanted to finally ask you, uh, I, I've complimented you on your eclectic product mix. And um, there's a couple of things I still want from you. One is the butter knife made in Sheffield, which I'm still hoping you're going to remake. We will, we will, and, yes. And I also want a copy of the book about that Crinkton. Mm-hmm. But what are the next things you have coming up? Um, I wish that this wasn't going to sound as eclectic as it is, but you know, here here we go. Um, I, I'm very lucky that I'm the exclusive uh, distributor for Northern Europe of a of a Italian well Neapolitan. I keep making that point because most Neapolitans are very proud of being Neapolitan as opposed to Italian. Anyway, um, I stock a Neapolitan coffee called uh, Pasolacqua, which sort of comes in and sells out within hours. So that's that's a jewelry stock of that. Um, uh, vintage uh, tea towels from from Italy, which uh, use these amazing old fashioned graphics, which are absolutely beautiful. Um, I'm making a shirt out of a fabric that was found in a warehouse in Portugal, and they believe that it was made for Versace in 1981 so i'm making some shirts out of that uh yeah no. uh, wow. there's some more bags on the way that are made in um accrington um the sweatshirts the super heavy sweatshirts that um are literally the heaviest that you can make loop back uh, cotton before the before it breaks uh, the machinery uh, about 600 grams per square meter um so as you can imagine that's one it's one heavy sweatshirt um so they're they're coming soon uh, i'm making some shorts that are made out of recycled plastic bottles entirely um so yeah it's um it's there's there's a few bits and they're all com- seem completely disconnected but in some way they sort of tend to hang, hang together okay i think so you'll be keeping busy well, and the post office will be busy. <laughs> you've uh, you've got to you've got to keep going, haven't you? I think um, if there's one thing that this whole period of time has taught me is that there are people that chose to stand still, and that's you know that's entirely your prerogative and, and the way you want to run your your life, your business, whatever. But I'm still very much like you've just got to got to keep going, and that's what that's hopefully when I when I make stuff and I put stuff out, that's hopefully what people can. Um, think about me because uh, that one if there's if there's one piece of advice that i would give to anybody wanting to do anything in the garment industry that there will be people that are infinitely more talented than you and infinitely um better at doing certain aspects of what you do but never let anybody sort of outwork you you need to be the hardest working person in your chosen field and that's sort of what i aim to do with trick it every day very good 
Okay, Ian, I'll let you get on with your evening and uh, thanks a lot for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. That's all for this episode of Gomology. If you enjoyed this, please do subscribe and I would really appreciate a good rating. Thanks for listening in and see you next time. Thank you.